When I became a foster mom four years ago, I quickly realized there weren't many resources for foster or adoptive parents, much less for the millennial generation. That's where the Millennial Foster Mom Podcast comes in. Welcome to a no-frills look at the journey of foster parenting. It's millennial motherhood with real chats about all things foster care, from navigating home visits, court hearings, bio parents, and quote-unquote, getting to attach. Please join me every week for an honest conversation about foster care and adoption as a millennial mom. Welcome to the Millennial Foster Mom Podcast. Hey guys, I just wanted to pop on before you listen to this week's episode and let you know I know there are some issues with the audio. Towards the end of the episode, the sound gets pretty echoey and Caitlin's volume goes in and out. I don't think there is a way I can adjust this through the app, so I'm so sorry for this and I hope you still listen because I think this was a great conversation and Caitlin shares such great insight and wisdom with foster care and adoption. Thanks for understanding. for tuning in to the Millennial Foster Mom Podcast. My name is Brittany, and today we have a very special episode planned. Today I'm going to be talking to Caitlin Frost, and I've known Caitlin since about 2016. We connected online when she was producing the Respite Redefined Podcast and website for foster and adoptive parents. And today we are going to be talking about moving states once you are licensed, how to prepare for fostering and adoption, and how to navigate visitations with birth families. So without further ado, let's jump in. Thank you so much for joining us today, Caitlin. Yeah, thank you for having me. So to help everyone get to know you a little bit more, please tell us who lives in your home right now. So today we have five kids, um, all of them from foster care. We've adopted two. I call them the originals um, (laughs) because I don't, I don't like seeing their names, you know, on the internet. So coming up with like cutesy things. So they're 10 and eight. Uh, we got them six years ago when they were four and two. That was our first foray into this whole process. Mm-hmm. And then baby girl joined us in September. She is 18 months right now. Uh, she's can climb the stairs. Can she walk? No, but can she book it up the only pair, only stairs that we have in this house? Yes. Of and course. so, yeah, <laughs> that's not been fun. <laughs> um, and then we have the two other ones, the boy and the girl the remixes as you will uh-huh. um, and they're 11 and 9 and they joined us uh halfway through the pandemic yeah, children that's recent. Yeah. yeah they ended up moving in at the time that everyone said that they could move in mm-hmm. I was hoping for them to move in earlier when I realized that we we're just gonna be shut up at home forever right um, <laughs> but we are pre-adoptive for them hopefully so that's awesome well, fingers crossed, everything works out. Yeah. So, well, how long have you and your husband been licensed foster parents? So we've been licensed for six years, but each state does it just a little different. So when we got licensed in Massachusetts, we were licensed for pre-adoptive, which just meant that we weren't going to do any sort of traditional foster care. We -hmm. were only going to bring in kids into our home that we were planning to adopt. So when we got the girls, we knew that they weren't going to leave unless we decided to disrupt it, which obviously we didn't. And I don't know that we would, but um, they're delightful. So (laughs) we never did like they were, they were never going to go home. There was never no bio parents um, to worry about as far as having their rights. Like Mm 
mm-hmm. they were going to stay. When they moved in, they were going to stay. Right. But we've only been licensed as traditional foster care parents since February of last year, 2019. Oh. Yeah. So you talked about you guys moved states. Um, you actually moved states after you were licensed the first time. Is that right? Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. So I do not recommend that. <laughs> what was that process like? So when we got the girls about three, four months later, we just, we learned that my husband's job, the, mm-hmm. the company was going to be selling and I was in between jobs myself. And so, um, we'd already started looking at moving just because we wanted a bigger house. You right. know, it was like childless condo and now we have kids. It'd be nice to have something bigger. Mm-hmm. And it it just kind of fell into place where that the only place that um, we could actually get a job is my hometown in Texas. Okay. And I was very opposed to living in my hometown in Texas because he wants to go back. I mean, yeah. I know some people actually do. I did not. <laughs> so we ended up moving um, before we could officially adopt them. Um, and so when we moved, we had to get licensed through the Texas, the state of Texas, just mm-hmm. to do that ICPC, the interstate adoption. Yeah. Um, and that was a nightmare, but we did the whole, we had to do the whole licensing process minus taking the classes. Okay. Um, but we had, to, we had to do the paperwork. We had to do the home study. We had to do everything. Like they had a right. They had, we had to be interviewed again. We had to do all of it, but just to be licensed for the two girls that were already placed into our home. Wow. That sounds like yeah. a lot. Um, I mean, it's a lot to do at one time, but much yeah. more doing it multiple times. Um, so were there any major differences between the licensing requirements between the states you were in? There really weren't. We learned that Massachusetts um, kind of goes over and above what they have to do like bare minimum mm-hmm. I get the feeling and someone listening can always correct but I get the feeling that um, there's general federal guidelines into how to do it but then mm-hmm. each state decides what they're going to do in addition to that or if they're going to do anything else right and so Massachusetts apparently just and we, because we now have been licensed in New Hampshire as well so now we know it's been confirmed that two other states just don't do quite as much as what Massachusetts did. And so that was helpful in a lot of ways because they were able to send more than enough information for Mm -hmm. the new workers. Um, And then of course, for the workers, I don't think it was as helpful because it was now trying to get this, these overloaded documents and just pick out the little pieces that they need to fit into their paperwork. Right. Um, But generally, no, it was not. I think the hardest part was I needed um, a Texas license just to prove residence. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and that was the hardest part because we were just a little bit in between houses. So I was like, I don't even know what address to put on my new Texas license. Yeah, we move a lot if you follow around. Oh, <laughs> um, I, I mean, I have noticed that <laughs> over the years. <laughs> I think we're stopped. I mean, we rent now, so we'll, there's definitely at least one more move in our future. But um, so that was the hardest part. That was the most time-consuming. We did have a worker who, because we moved so much just I don't didn't agree with our life choices I guess and did not want to license us and Massachusetts kind of was like because our we we've had a lot of social workers I can think of her as the one that I have come in contact with who I've been very displeased by like these workers are 
very great, very amazing. We go straight through the state. We don't go through any sort of agency. We've met very delightful people so far. Um, This one particular one, though, just didn't want to license us because we move a lot. And there was not really anything she could do about it since she wasn't the placement worker. Right. They were in Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, So she delayed it. that's so frustrating yeah and it was really a combination of her and the system just because you know she was doing this as a favor to someone else who worked in her department but then she got moved department so there was no actual supervisor above it anyways that's just when you know foster care taught me anything it's sometimes you just have to be annoying and call Mm -hmm. and call and call and make appointments and that was the first time where I just, I felt like I couldn't do anything unless I just showed up at their offices. So I did. I just showed up at the offices and documented. I documented all of our correspondence between mm-hmm. me and her just to be like, I'm very willing to do whatever, like I will jump through whatever hoop you want me to jump through. Just show me where the hole is so I can go through it. And yeah, that was a, that was an interesting lesson to learn. But overall, like it was, it should have been a lot sooner than what it was. And then of course the interstate part took maybe another eight months to um, finalize. Yeah. And that's, it's like, you have to be your own advocate and your kid's own advocate because we know these workers are overloaded and underpaid Mm -hmm. and you, you want to do as much as you can. And so um, it's just, it's tough when they make it even harder. Um, And I feel like with the different States, that even within the states, the rules and the guidelines for foster care and adoption are constantly changing. Oh, yes. Like we had our annual license renewal this week with our agency. Mm -hmm. And we found out that our state has actually lowered the age to foster from 25 to 21. And then um, they lowered the age to 18 for kinship care. So, which is a great change. It's just, you know, we would have never really even known that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We're coming out for relicensing. So I think I've been licensed longer, I guess, than what I thought. Um, But they have gotten more stringent. So our worker, I like texted our worker and I said, let's, can you just get on a phone call with me? Cause I think I'm gonna have a lot of questions. And I think we're going to be like one of the first families that she licenses with the new guidelines. So we're going to like learn it together, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's always changing. Yeah. It's like every year something is different. This is, I think our third renewal since we've been licensed and it's just, you know, the questions are one thing because they know everything about your personal life, but then just to (laughs) add, you know, not knowing exactly what to expect from year to year is just a little nerve wracking. Anyway. Okay. Well, how did you guys know you were ready to foster and then to adopt? So we probably were not ready to be quite honest Um, because, well, I was not prepared. I was not, you know, you sit through the classes and I felt very well versed into why children are placed into foster care Mm -hmm. and the steps that it takes for reunification or the steps that it takes for um, adoption placement. Mm -hmm. But no one actually told me what it was going to be like to parent. Oh, and I completely agree. I have always requested that they do more training for those of us mm-hmm. who did not have kids before this. You know, I've heard in New Hampshire, I didn't, we didn't have to take the classes in New Hampshire either, just because Massachusetts was mm-hmm. 
again, overabundance with information, but I have heard that foster parents will lead some of the classes. And so I feel like that would actually be very beneficial. Yes, that would be beneficial. But yeah, like what you said, I didn't have kids before this. So Mm -hmm. it's not even like, oh, I know how to parent. Now I'll just tweak the parenting. I do it completely blind. You're starting from scratch. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I definitely don't um, regret any of it or how we did it. I almost wonder what I would be like if I was a biological mother. Like I, I do wonder what I would, how would I parent knowing that my child would never actually leave? Yeah. Um, that's I'm always, been, that too. yeah, I think that's an interesting, like, I just want to know more. What's that like? What's it like knowing that your kid's not going to leave? Yeah. Um, I've never known that. I mean, it's yeah. just, you know, you do this foster care and adoption thing and you try and explain it to other people. And I think it's kind of like people who have had biological kids trying to explain it to us. It's just, yeah, you don't really know it until you're there. Right. So. Right. But, yeah. So where was I? Um, how did you know you were ready to adopt? Oh, well, we had I, adoption was always plan A, foster care, always plan A. People think that we got into this because um, of infertility, which mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe we're infer- infertile. Do we need to talk about that? And, you know, in real life, <laughs> um, but like we always wanted to do this. And so we kind of got ready for kids. I'm extremely impatient. And thought, mm-hmm. why wait? Let's just do this. Um, and so we did. And that's kind of how my husband and I make decisions. We just kind of think on it separately for like we like we bring it up and then we mm-hmm. think on it separately for quite a while. And we brought this up when we were in that dating sort of phase. And so I'd been thinking about it for quite a while and decided one day we went out for a walk and I just said, why don't we just do it? And he goes, you know, I was thinking the same thing. And yeah, we went home and just made that initial phone call. I think the hardest part was trying to figure out, like, how do you start? Right. And that is what else I think is missing from um, foster care, like recruitment. It's like, Mm -hmm. it really is like, how do you start? And it took me, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes to just find a phone number to call, which is pretty fast. But it wasn't easy either, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I just found a hotline. I don't even think I called the right number. I think I called the, <laughs> I need to report a child number to be oh, honest, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I got tampered and they sent us an informational packet. And then the packet of course laid everything out in great detail. And so we didn't have necessarily any questions after that, but yeah, we just decided to just try it and figure it. If God wanted us to, actually do this then he would make it so that we would and if mm-hmm. he was like nope now it's not the time then he would show us that it's not the time and nine months to the day that we made that f- first phone call we met the girls that was amazing I love how yeah. the timelines just like match up we yeah something similar happened with ours too so I think that's so cool it just kind of like confirms it on yeah. a different level um so you guys have done foster foster to adopt and adopt only what is your advice for preparing for opening your home and your heart? So it's, I think I've learned a lot. And my first one is the expectations. When we got the original girls, I was just so ready to have kids. I think I decorated the room four times before <laughs> we actually even knew who they were going to be. Mm-hmm. And then like a fifth time, because now I know the ages and what their favorite color is and et cetera. Um, 
And I just would daydream about what it's like. And I would daydream about us being a family of four. And I would daydream about about it being hard. I really would. I would say, you know, it's not going to be all roses. Let's talk about what the hard parts are going to be. Mm-hmm. And so I would daydream tantrums. And I'd really think through those things. And then, you know, reality hit. And it just wasn't at all what I expected. Because, Like, of course it's not. And so even though I had lowered expectations, even though I thought through hard parenting mm-hmm. moments, it still wasn't what I expected it to be. And I got post-adoption depression, which is like postpartum, but mm-hmm. you know, just for adoption, it's yes, a thing. I was there right with you. So <laughs> yes. yes, yes, and that needs to be talked about more, by the oh, way. It's... Yes, I have an episode in the future I plan on. Oh, <laughs> good. But that's what I, I, that's why I tell everyone like, yes, it's going to be hard and you have a right to complain about it. Yes. Um, And it's like, again, never been pregnant, but my hormones were just, I'm crying about every little thing. Mm-hmm. The emotions are so heavy because yes and you just didn't know that you could feel this way Mm -hmm. and you know you watch tv or you watch movies and you're like oh man these are really terrible things that people do or there's so much bad in the world and of course I'm prepared I've taught like I used to be a teacher I've seen you know poverty in children and I've seen kids in foster care like I know how bad the world can be well Mm -hmm. then you put a face and a name to it and you don't even realize what's emotions that you're going to have mm-hmm. that come with it. Like what you said, guilt, but also just joy. Mm-hmm. How, like how can I be happy to take someone else's kid? But I am, I'm very happy that I get to parent these kids and, you know, sad, but just fear and frustration and annoyance, all the normal parenting emotion, emotions, I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we got the to the remixes, the, the boy <laughs> and the girl. Yes. <laughs> it's not baby girl story is a little bit different. So when we got the two new ones, we knew we were pre-adopted for them. We knew in October that we wanted to pursue this. We knew in January that we were going to be like, we were labeled the pre-adoptive mm-hmm. parents. And in February, we got to tell them. I refused to think about it. I did not decorate their rooms until the week they were moving in. I did not like, I just, I kind of thought about the decorating part. I won't lie. Cause <laughs> Mostly because of quarantine. I needed to like kind of buy all the stuff that I could. Yeah. And it's kind of like nesting too. Yes. Yes. I mean, I didn't decorate the rooms till the week before, but I will tell you, I ripped everything, this house from top to bottom. Everything came out, got reorganized, put up. It was helpful to have quarantine, but that was like, if I can't decorate the rooms, I'm going to redo everything else in this house. Yes. I've been Um, (laughs) Yeah. But I did not allow myself to think about what it would be like as a family of six. I didn't even knowing who they were and like likes and dislikes. I refused to even think about them. I just like, I know they're moving in and that's all I need to know. And that I think was very helpful because we have had some big surprises. I mean, I didn't think that we could get any more surprises. We've been through it all, but no, we haven't (laughs) Um, naive. And so we've had some really, really big surprises. And I think that because I didn't daydream it one way or the other, then of course it's going to happen like this. And so that's my biggest advice is to prepare your heart. Like, yes, pray. Yes. um, Think through the necessities. Like, locking and what color are you going to paint the bedroom and where are you going to actually have them sleep? Like think through all of that, but, but don't think about what it's going to be like as an actual family of two, three, four, however many you're, you're getting, just don't even allow yourself to think about how it's going to go because it's just not going to go the way that 
it is. Yeah. And I think that's really great advice. I would completely agree with that. Um, Cause and it, it doesn't even mean like if something doesn't go your way, that it's your fault or the kid's fault. I mean, it could right. be like this, the um, department deciding something um, right. or right. some trauma you don't even know about come up. So it just, I think that's a really good way not to set expectations and not to get your hopes up for certain things to happen. Um, So how did you prepare the rest of your family for opening your home back up? So how did you prepare your original girls? (laughs) Yeah. So they knew that we were going to do this. They were there for us the whole time we got licensed. Um, I didn't know this, but when you have kids and you get licensed, they interview your kids. It's really cute. At least in New Hampshire, it was really cute. Very appropriate. She set them down. Um, not one-on-one. She talked to both of them at the same time, but not with me and the husband in the room. Mm-hmm. And she would ask like, what do they want? What did, what do, what do we think? What are the favorite things we do as a family? Fairy wasn't trying to fish for dirt, was not trying to uncover deep, dark secrets. Um, she had them draw a picture of like what their family was going to look like. So of course my eight-year-old draws a baby oh. and we're like, um, no, thanks. We, <laughs> We just want to do like first or fifth grade. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Never had um, a plan. <laughs> and so they were there with us the whole step of the way. We're very open with them to to a point. But I think, again, if we're talking about, we talk about adoption all the time because that's their life. So yep. we talk about, you know, tummy moms and first dads. And so this is nothing different. Like, hey, we want to have more kids. Just so you know, we're going to do foster care. And they know exactly how you do it because now we've talked to them about what steps that we have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got right after we got licensed, we, we met a very sweet 13-year-old girl that we had said yes to, that we wanted to bring into her home. We met her first and the kids met her and everything was going great until it, it just didn't. Mm-hmm. And so she's, she's not with us. She never actually ended up moving in. She herself kind of chose that she didn't want to pursue it anymore. And that was sad. The girls cried a little bit, um, one more than the other. They had kind of gotten attached. I think they got mm-hmm. more to the idea of having a sister yeah. than necessarily to her. Um, I miss her and think about her all the time. But I also think that going through that was actually beneficial to the girls just because now they know what it's like to meet someone and have them about to move in. Now they've kind of seen it. And now they know what it's like to have that person not be here. Right. So I can see the silver lining in it now. Um, so what was, what was the question? (laughs) (laughs) How to prepare prepare your family for. Oh yeah. Okay. Thank you. So that was a pre-adoptive. So they also knew that whoever moved in would probably live with us forever. And because we decided to do pre-adoptive. Well, in the months between when she chose not to live with us and when we got baby girl, you know, it had been on my heart forever to do just traditional foster care. Mm -hmm. I, I always wanted to do that. And of course it's always the men that don't want to do it. Um, and so, (laughs) yeah, it was just so hard to get them on, on board with it. And so finally I just said, I'm done with this. We're doing foster care. And so we met with our worker and we just, said that we wanted to change. We wanted to just be everything. Mm-hmm. So pre-adoptive, yes, if something wants to come up, but also foster care and then foster to adopt. The way New Hampshire does it is, of course, different than Massachusetts and I'm sure other states. Um, they actually try to match the kids with a pre-adoptive family before the parent rights have actually been terminated, before 
just before a lot of things happen, if they, if the workers think that it's going to go the way that they are pushing it to, mm-hmm. then they go ahead and start matching up for a family then. Wow. And so that's why like we are pre-adopted for the other two, but there's just a lot of things that have to happen first before yeah. we can actually know if we're, if that's going to be the goal. So, um, so knowing that we talked about doing traditional foster care, we wanted, well, I wanted to do babies. I wanted to do any age. The <laughs> husband though, he's like, if I'm going to do this, he wants to do school age kids. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it would make the routine easier. And to be honest, it would, it would like one drop off. They would go to the kid's school, one pickup. Um, the reason why we said first grade, not kindergarten is because the kindergarten is only like a half day. So that would be oh. an extra pickup. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we got a a good looking out on that. (laughs) So we got license for it. We got a twin bed. We got the room set up with just a bed and a dresser and got a call for a baby. (laughs) And I told the worker, I'm going to say yes. Let me just, you know, make sure I'm not going to get divorced. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I called my husband. And of course, when he heard the story, because that, again, now we're putting before it's okay, fine. No babies. Now we have a name and a face to this baby. Yeah. And a story. So of course we're going to say yes. Yeah. And, um, we came, we, all that happened at work. I don't know how people get a phone call while they're at work and then go back to work. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I have like four more hours of work. I run an after school program. So like I had, the kids were about to show up and the parents and like, I had no idea what to do. And the, the thing that kept going through my mind was I have nothing for a baby. So it, it wasn't even about like, how do I do this? What do I, I need to tell the girls I need to, it was like, I gotta buy a crib. I gotta buy a car seat. I gotta, you know, get this. I have no clothes. Like I have, I had nothing. Yeah. And so if someone could just tell me, I mean, if they could share that with me too, I've, (laughs) we've gotten a call before, um, and it just, it kind of throws your whole day off because you can't think of anything else after that and all the things you need to do. So I ended up leaving early. Thanks to my very wonderful assistant director. She (laughs) was like, just go, just leave. And, um, so for situations, we weren't going to get the baby till the next day, which is another, we were going to go get her on a Saturday, not even on a, um, a weekday. And that was a whole other process that we had to do because we had to call this number and call this number. Um, but between that time of like, I don't know, noon on Friday and we picked her up at noon on Saturday. I had just sent, of course I texted some friends mm-hmm. and I, and everyone in my program knew we were doing foster care. So the parents would come in and I have a lot of foster parents in my program. And so I was like, I'm getting a baby. What do I need to get? <laughs> so that was helpful. But I put a Facebook post um, just saying, you know, the Frost family is expanding. And if anyone has tips on what babies do or can tell me what to do with, um, what to buy for baby girls, like, let me know. And in that 24 hour span, I think I had 25 people drop stuff off at the house. That is amazing. Yes. The DCYF like gave us a car seat to borrow and a pack and play. And so that's the other thing, as far as preparing your home, like we were very prepared for ages first through sixth grade, like very (laughs) prepared. And we didn't get that age. And yet, you know, DCYF has these resources that's you know, you might not know about, like we got the car seat, we have a pack and place. So now we have a place for her to, we can pick her up and she can sleep. And just the people, people are just so nice 
mm-hmm. and wonderful and lovely. And we got a beautiful crib, uh, crib mattress, crib bumper, clothes, adorable clothes, um, diapers, formula. Like we were basically set. We went shopping because I just wanted to go shopping for a baby. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I get that. <laughs> yeah. So I think like, you know, once again, though, the expectations I hadn't allowed myself to think, you know, I prepared for my house in a certain way that ended up not being the way that was going to be utilized. And Mm so I think you can just prepare and prepare and prepare. And it's just never going to be what you expect it to be. But yeah, it's like, how do you, how do you prepare? You you really can't. Mm -hmm. I, I do think you should um, have basic things on hand, of course, but I think the best way to prepare is to find that community and the tribe of people that are going to love and support you and your kids, no matter what happens. Yes. And sometimes you don't know if they're going to until you're in the middle of it. But we had been going to our, our agent, our agency, because we went through the state, but the county um, has a foster care support group. And so we went, even though we weren't technically fostering, we went for like seven months before we got baby girl mm-hmm. and maybe longer. And, um, so we met all these people that were currently doing foster care. So when we got thrown into it, oh, I have a built-in group of people right here that know, mm-hmm. you know, how to navigate this New Hampshire specific foster care specific situations. And so I think that's the best way to prepare is just to prepare by knowing that you can do whatever you want. It's going to be different and not what you expect, but also prepare with people. Like yes. what, what kind of people do you want in your life? And mm-hmm. are you, are you a church person, but maybe you don't have a church? Find one. Are you like a sit on the couch and talk to someone in person kind of person? Find a person that will do that with you. You know, just what kind of people do you need in your life and then develop those relationships now? Mm-hmm. And as cliched as it is, it's really finding your village. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> it's finding those people who are going to build you up and then help support you in those really tough moments that always come with foster care. Um, So moving on to visitation, do any of your kids have visitation with their birth family and what does that look like? And then how, if it has been impacted at all by um, pandemic. So the original girls, because of Massachusetts, they don't do closed adoptions. They only do open. And so we, yeah, yeah. We meet <laughs> up with their birth mom once a year. There are a lot of pros and cons to that. I'm going to just speak to the pros right now. Um, <laughs> I I just like that if they have questions like throughout the year, I bring them up at the visit. Mm-hmm. Um, if they ever start wondering, I know a visit's probably around the corner. Um, so there's no room for that fairy tale imagination of well, she really wanted to be back or she, you know, wanted to do that. No, you know what she looks like, you know, how she talks, you know, the cadence of her voice and you know the answers to these questions that I'm forcing her to answer because I would like to know. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really good. Um, Baby girl's mom. I have just been blown away by how much I like her Mm -hmm. and am rooting for her. And I know that's probably a surprise, but just the situation that baby girl was landed in. I just probably had a very negative first outlook to it, you know, like, Oh, well, let me tell you how this case is going to go. And it's not all like that. And so she's been very redemptive in that sense. She, we invite her to our home. Um, 
we hang out with our family when there's not coronavirus. Um, (laughs) So that's been, so she lost visits because of coronavirus. She was unable to have them. And I was very mad, but everyone knew about it. Um, I don't know where, if you're listening, like, I don't know where you are on the scale of coronavirus. I've always been like a five. (laughs) <laughs> well it's, it's serious but we also have to live our life you know yeah I go back and forth too <laughs> yeah and I you know foster care got really hard when mm-hmm. everything was at home she's a medically needy baby so I've had to do all of the doctor appointments that I never had to do because they were always scheduled through a middle of the day visit with her mom mm-hmm. and now I have to do the visits with mom zoom visits but I have to do the visits and it's a baby. It's not like I can set up the computer and walk away. Right. And so that's been, I don't know, foster years has been three times more the work since. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, and my mom said, you know, you signed on for this. And I was like, actually, I didn't. I did not sign on for this. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's like one of the top three phrases. You do not say to a foster mom. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, and that's, we, Carson has his visits and he has three week with his mom, like two week with dad. Oh, wow. And then oh, he's wow. got foster care worker, CASA worker, defects worker, therapy twice. It's just so many calls. This yeah. kid is on the computer or on the phone yep. all the time. And as much as I don't want us to get the coronavirus, I, and I know he is too, definitely ready to get back to normal. Yes. Safe to do so. <laughs> yes. Well, oh. I I had championed from the beginning that I wanted to do visits with mm-hmm. mom. In fact, like when everything was shutting down, um, so we have a DCYF worker, but there's a whole separate uh, agency program that has the parent aid. So the, they were closed, but DCYF hadn't shut down everything yet. So I actually mm-hmm. did visits on my own with her for a few times, a few like few of them. Because um, I, neither one of us was concerned about it. Mm-hmm. We were both okay doing it. The social worker had okayed it, had confirmed it. Um, and so we did visits at just at places that were still open. I think we did four before DCYF officially um, shut down. We all had to stay home. And But I've been championing for in-person visits. Again, just the situation that it was in, attachment was the biggest concern for myself and mm-hmm. for the workers involved um right. and I felt like we were gonna lose it and we yeah. were just making strides and it's not fair to um the baby to not get it on the flip side though mom was doing everything that she was supposed to do she was quarantining she was not going anywhere so I do recognize I know that there's probably a lot of people that would love to have visits with bio parents but the bio parents themselves are not Mm-hmm. doing the work of quarantining and but, so this mom was this she's again above and beyond what she even needs to do I think well That's really great yes parenting is always above and beyond so just above and beyond what I think is required you know the min- there's a minimum there and she's going above it mm-hmm. and so we were able to get in-person visits just a, f- a few weeks ago we were one of the first ones in our county that were able to do it um but that's that said there's no parent aid there's no worker it's just me doing it and so that was a little nerve-wracking because that's how she got 
our address and that's how she came over that does sound like it could be nerve-wracking um so i finally just got over it Mm -hmm. because again she has she had proven herself that she could that she was doing everything needed to be done for her child and at this point it's like if she was really a a danger then they would not have okayed any sort of visits Mm -hmm. um and so she comes over she comes over and does her visits and we go on a walk together with the baby or we play outside Uh, at the beginning it was a lot of again six feet apart masks like we had restrictions that we had to follow Mm -hmm. um they've loosened since then because just because of where she's at in her case so she gets to have her partially unsupervised visit so she comes to get her and takes her on a walk without us there and she it's been really nice because I know that she's moving in soon. The baby is moving in soon. And mm-hmm. she and mom's just to give her the gift of being able to give her baby a bath and put her to bed. Yeah. Because she comes over late enough. I just, yeah. I'm so glad that the baby gets that because, you know, pretty soon, hopefully pretty soon, it'll be a brand new house and a brand new uh, people, I mean, not brand new. I know she's done them before, but it'll be a whole new environment. But she'll have had weeks or months of the same person doing the mm-hmm. same type of routine and that transition. Like, yeah, and I think that's just such a good gift that I'm able to give her. Yes, for sure. So. Um, so sometimes with visitations, that can be really hard, not only on the kids, but also on the family as a whole mm-hmm. with big emotions and you know having yeah. trauma brought up do you have any tips on how to navigate visits with the birth family you know I don't because, because <laughs> it's just you never know what emotion what behavior what is going to be triggered mm-hmm. and so it's almost like walking a tight rope of you know, like just waiting to see what happens and then maybe nothing does. And then three weeks later, something stupid and insane, your child's crying about, and you're like, Oh wait, this is probably going back to mm-hmm. that fault or that visit. Um, but it's just, I think that's the, it's just so tricky. I don't even, I don't know what to say to them to prep them ahead of time. I don't know what to say to them afterwards. Uh, I have a friend who does ice cream. They do ice cream dates every like Thursday because Thursday is the phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everyone has something to look forward to. But then on the flip side, I think, well, am I just pairing, you know, like what, it, like, am I pairing a good thing with the bad thing? Like, you know, I don't know. I just have no tips with that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, well, and it's hard too, because you don't know, like, if these are just, behaviors from something else or if it does have to do yeah. with the visitation and there's just so many unknowns and um I feel like I question me personally I feel like I question myself a lot when it comes to that um yeah. and maybe that's just us not having biological kids so not really having anything to compare right. it to but um you know like just always thinking in the back of my mind oh this might be trauma or right. related right. to the visit I think the longer that we're doing visits and such I think well so we used to not tell the girls they were doing their visit until like we were on the way there Mm -hmm. now we can talk about it 
beforehand, but they're also older. They can process it more. They're not going to flip out. They're not going to ask every single day for a month. When is this visit? When is this? How many days left? Mm-hmm. So it's gotten easier with age for sure. I think though, just knowing that something's going to happen is probably the best way to prepare. Like just know that something and within like a month is going to happen. And so usually if something big happens within a month of the visit, I just give a lot of grace. You know, no punishments are usually doled out. No big tantrums. No, you know, nothing like that. Like if something happens, we're just going to move swiftly through that one. (laughs) Yes. Um, For the other kids, they have a phone call more regularly right now. And so that one's harder. That one's trickier because it's just when I feel like they start getting, ah, they can breathe a little bit. Oh, here comes the next wave mm-hmm. of visits. And, you know, I, I'm all for visits and I'm all for open adoptions. I have seen so many great things. I love baby girl's mom, you know, coming over. I, I could, I know there's a narrative right now on the internet about, always do an open adoption, you know, here's different people you could have an adoption, open adoption with, but you know, I just, there's a lot of negatives to mm-hmm. it as well. And I, I really hate saying that. I don't want to be negative Nancy here, but there, you know, with five kids, we have quite a few parents. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I don't want to be specific about any certain parent, but sometimes, you know, your kids are in care for a reason. Mm-hmm. And there's some safety issues. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there, I'm knocking down the doors of DCYF demanding that baby girl has visits with her mom, but I'm doing the exact same thing, but opposite for some other parents because of safety concerns. And, you know, sometimes these parents are actually dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. And I don't want them around me or my husband. I don't want them around any kid, any of my kids meeting all of my kids are in my home right now are mine. And so there's definitely times where I know, like I, I've specifically requested or have just said, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing a visit. Like if you're going to insist on doing it, you can provide transportation or you like, now I'm putting the ball in your court. Now you have to figure out how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and here's my reasons why we're not doing this. But yeah, I think that's a good thing to also like if you're doing foster care because you've seen all the good parts on the internet or if because you've seen all the bad parts on the internet and you're like, man, I really need to get involved in this. I think it's also good to just know, like, I'm not going to talk about the safety issues on Instagram, but I do feel safety concerns for quite a few of the parents in the, in our case, in which case I don't actually champion for visits in that, in that case. And it's kind of just, what are you, it's okay to be uncomfortable with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the crazy thing too is how different, um, like I'm in Georgia. And so our state does not recognize open adoptions. Uh And so, yeah, so ours are closed only. um, But if there's contact with the birth family post-adoption, DFAX is not involved. It's right. totally up to the adoptive family and the birth family to coordinate that and um, whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely something to keep in mind when figuring out visits for a foster child and um, 
thinking about like long-term your family safety and not just the reactions from visits mm-hmm. um, from the foster child, but also, you know, like just safety concerns, especially yeah. if they're in a similar location or right. Um, we've been down that road before and it was actually really scary. So, um, okay. Well, kind of going back to baby girl's mom. Yeah. Um, how do you encourage a partnership relationship with the birth parents? We're always told as foster parents, we need to be um, partners with the birth parents. How mm-hmm. would you say you do that? I think going back to what I said just a couple of minutes ago about like, it's okay to be uncomfortable. You know, when we, when we started, I didn't really know at what level of privacy I wanted to keep. Mm-hmm. And so I have a Gmail account just for biological parents. Mm-hmm. with no identifying information and that then that's how we can communicate um and I do it straight from my phone so I'm still able to send pictures um and it still acts or operates like a text message but uh that's where I started and I think I you know other people start different I have a friend that's like oh just I just give them my phone number but I decided you know what I'm uncomfortable right now with that so I'm just going to do a way that I'm comfortable with because the whole mm-hmm. point is to partner with them right and so it's okay to do it at your comfortability level like don't let's not compare your situation or your comfortable level at to someone else's mm-hmm. as the months have go- gone on um she has my number she has my address she's she's come over but it took a lot for me to personally get there honestly if coronavirus had never happened I don't know if we would be there not in terms of comfortability just in terms of schedule Right. Um, so it's, that's been really, really great. It's, it's also been really nice because before she would do visits during the day with her parent, a, well, I don't see how she interacts with her kid. Mm-hmm. Well, now I do. Now I see how she interacts with it. So that's also nice to see. Um, now, you know, again, face and a name and, and now, okay. So now we're not just texting about do I need diapers or not. Now I see how you're actually involved and things like that. Um, Marco Polo is another app that I've used since coronavirus because I can also keep um, privacy on that one as well. Mm-hmm. But I can send videos. Um, oh, that's really here. cool. I hadn't heard of that one. Yeah. So that one, that one we've used a lot during, you know, when she lost her visits, she wasn't able to see her kid move and crawl and, you know, actually be active. All I could mm-hmm. give was pictures. So that way it was a good chance for her to see it. And then she can talk back to it. So it was a good way she would, you know, send a message back and her face and voice is there that I can show her baby girl. And so uh-huh. baby girl, oh, like light up and start talking to the phone and that whole thing. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. So for other moms or dads, parents, I use Google voice. So I have a phone number. They can call my phone directly, but it's not my actual phone number. Um, and I think just being like, I, I was very upfront with all the caseworkers in both cases. Like mm-hmm. this is the level of comfortability I have. Like, you know, right now I don't want my address. I don't want, this is the phone number I want used. This is the email I want used. Um, and then advocating for that. There was a couple of workers that messed up it's because of coronavirus again. Yeah. Um, and my personal email that has my full name <laughs> get sent over to these, you know, mm-hmm. some parents who don't know what my name actually is. Well, you know, um, so I think it's just allowing yourself to be uncomfortable, but also allowing yourself for the possibility of um, opening up that comfort zone. 
I think holding things close to your chest for a while is perfectly fine. And to be honest, I probably will start the next traditional foster care case in the exact same way. You don't get to know my address. Here is my email. Here's a Google voice number. Um, I don't think that I will, you know, I've had great success with baby girl's mom and our relationship. I'm not naive to think that that's going to happen with the next case and the next Mm -hmm. one. And so I think each case is going to start out. I mean, even when we got the, the remix kids in it, I also started out with, you know, just based on the very limited information I have, this is my level of comfortability that I'm going to start with. Yeah. And even there, like I know our relationship with that biological mom is going to look a whole lot different than the other moms. Um, but here's where I would like to be with our relationship at the end of it. And so just allowing myself room to grow and get to know, I mean, they're, we're strangers, just complete strangers. Mm -hmm. So the same way that this parent is going to be uncomfortable with her kid living somewhere else, I'm uncomfortable with you knowing where my kid is living, meaning your kid, because now it's mine because we share. Um, (laughs) Yes. So it's just all around, like, you know, and a lot of times these parents, maybe not a lot, but there are cases where the parents, this is their first time to do foster care. You know, the first time I did traditional foster care, it happens to be the very first time that baby girl's mom is doing foster care. And so it's just uncomfortable for her because she doesn't know what this is about and what to do. And then it's mm-hmm. uncomfortable for me because I'm not sure who you are. You're a stranger. And so, yeah, just allowing yourself to be comfortable, but then know that like, what are your goals? What would you like to happen? And now realistically, what could you maybe start doing in the meantime? Yeah, that's really good. I would also add, I think it's important to, um, just kind of have respect for them as well. Um, like anytime we needed to move a phone call or something, we would give at least a day's notice and just send a quick text. That's what it had to be. Um, just so we were on the same page and just so she knew that I respected their phone calls Um, and I didn't want to interfere with that relationship in any way. Um, and you know, just, I feel like people think that we're like these martyrs for foster parents Uh and I'm not saying this isn't like a really great thing. It is, but I'm just a regular person. I'm not a superhero. And I think it's important to remember that we're no better than, you know, anybody else. Right. Right. And just keeping that in mind when you're interacting with them, because a lot of them, this is probably one of the lowest points in their lives. Yes. Yes. So, um, okay. So now for the really fun part, um, <laughs> last week I introduced a new segment to the end of the episodes yes. and thorns, um, just to end on kind of a lighthearted note, because I know a lot of the stuff that we talk about can get pretty heavy. Yes. So do you have a thorn that you would like to share from, this week? Yes. You know, and I'm surprised myself when I'm going to say that I think my thorn this week is the internet, Instagram and specifically. And I've been on Instagram for about 10 years, maybe a little less. I'm not exactly sure. (laughs) And I have been so amazed at how people who follow me, which is not a lot, are so kind and gracious. I don't have problems with trolls and I don't have problems like, yeah, unfollow me. Like I have a lot of people who just, I feel like respect me and the space or Mm -hmm. they don't want to be there. So they just quietly leave. And I don't don't keep track of any of that. I do Instagram as a fun hobby, an outlet, a creative 
outside. I don't have time for a blog anymore or podcasting. So I do. <laughs> I just, I love it. And I have to say, I've never gotten in the last week or two, I've gotten such rude messages and not even yeah. like, yeah, it's not even like, oh, this is stupid. I mean, it's just, girl, someone hurt you and you are taking it out on me like just profanity wow yes I got called a devil worshiper which that one made me laugh because I think I you're like the complete funny. opposite of that so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I should recheck the church we're going to <laughs> but, um no that one really did make me laugh but it's just the internet's such a fun place I follow a cockatiel who barks like a dog you know like <laughs> I just enjoy what people put I love people who put like they're extremely clean Instagram, perfect houses. And I get a lot of like design interior mm-hmm. ideas from them. And I also love the person who's like, look what I have to clean up today, you know? And it's just <laughs> so fun. And lately it's just not been. Yeah. And so I've contemplated back and forth leaving the internet or not. I probably should just take a step back, but yeah, I'm just not happy with Instagram right now. Yeah, I get that. I've <laughs> been in that same mindset for a few weeks about Instagram. There's just so much going on right now in the world. So yes, and that's not helping things. Either. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my thorn from this week is just um, being really busy. We have had like at least two appointments or Zoom calls every Ooh. single day this week. And with four kids under seven, mm-hmm. it's just a lot, and I am ready for a break. So, yes, yes. where was all this extra time that people had during quarantine? I'd like some of it. I mean, I feel like the past few months have just like flown. Like last month was April. I cannot yes. believe it. it's already like almost mid July, and yes. back to school next month. So. Yes, I'm still processing the actual closing closing yes. of the state. I can't now process the reopening of it. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm not there yet. And I'm like, and it's sneaking up. So we were going so slowly at the beginning of this. And now I feel like it's just zooming past. Um, So do you have a rose that you would like to share? Well, yes, I do. (laughs) And it is that normally I am a McDonald's Coke person. Mm -hmm. Amen, sister. Yeah. Regular Coke, not diet. And there's McDonald's. I mean, I could walk to it right outside my house. But recently, I have found myself in the windy side of town. Oh. And I have gotten a Coke from there. Now, I did not know this, but the Wendy's Coke is probably one and a half times bigger than the McDonald's large Coke. Yeah, it is. I did not know that. (laughs) Yes. And I now drive an extra two and a half minutes just to (laughs) go get one of those instead of... um, I don't know. It's just something about a co- it's summer. Something about Coke in the summer is mm-hmm. it's like you just pair them together. Also, I have been reading a lot and I have a lot of good books to the point where I started my own bookstagram account. That's right, on Instagram. Yes, I'm wanting yes, to you. Best <laughs> book recommendations. I'm always you. screenshotting your Instagram account. Thank you. But I'm having fun just playing with how I take pictures of the books so that would probably be my rose it's just like quarantine has just made me get over it Mm -hmm. and yeah I like to take pictures of books in weird ways like let's just post them let's post them (laughs) on there um and so that's been fun to just allow myself to just not have a guilty pleasure but just a pleasure so I'm drinking Wendy's Cooks and I'm taking pictures of books 
and I go through great lengths at which to set up some of these photo shoots. I love that. That is so cool. (laughs) Um, so I will share my rose really quick. Um, just a little bit of background. So I switched careers, um, like post from college, from interior design to education. Um, and I've been like a substitute, a pair pro, and I've also taught at a private school. But this is the first year I'll be teaching in my own public school classroom. Congratulations. Thank you. So my best friend, Shelby, and shout out to Shelby because she listens to this podcast, threw me a teacher shower this what? past week. idea well and it was just it was so amazing because you know as foster and adoptive moms she knows like we never had a baby shower yeah we actually didn't even have a wedding shower so (laughs) this was just like extra special I think it's probably one of the sweetest things anybody has ever done for me um you know I got a ton of stuff for my classroom and it was just such a blessing so that was definitely my rose from this week and it was a surprise. I had no idea. My husband was driving me there to the restaurant and I was about to have a full on anxiety attack because I had no idea what we were doing. And then I get there and then all of my, my school people are there. So it was, it was a great day. It just <laughs> leading up to it was kind of scary. Well, you can tell her, or maybe she's listening on here, that I saw that that happened. And yes. I have a couple friends who are thinking about going teaching or are finishing up their teaching requirements. And I thought, I don't know if I can throw them a teaching shower, but I'm going to get them a teaching gift. Like, I just thought that was the cutest, sweetest idea ever. And so I'm going to steal it and use it for my friends. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to speak on her behalf because I know she won't mind. Um, so go for it. <laughs> and I know that whoever you bless with that is going to just love it. So, yeah. but yeah, it was really awesome. So, um, that is going to wrap up this episode. Um, Caitlin, where can the listeners find you online? Well, unless I delete it before you follow on Instagram, you can find me at Life with the Frosts um, on Instagram. I will probably make it public, so make sure you're an actual person if you want to follow. And by all means, <laughs> follow me. Um, and I also just started a new Instagram, Caitlin Reads Book. I will tell you that one is definitely not foster care related whatsoever. Um, but my life with the foster account um, definitely tends to be on that side. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I think this was really informative and helpful. Yes. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. So um, I guess we will talk to you later then. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See ya. Thank you for listening to the Millennial Foster Mom Podcast. You can listen to the Millennial Foster Mom Podcast through almost any podcast listening platform. The Millennial Foster Mom Podcast is produced using an app called Anchor. If you have an idea for an episode topic or would just like to connect, feel free to email me at the Millennial Foster Mom Podcast at gmail.com or through the Millennial Foster Mom Instagram page. Thank you again for listening. And remember, motherhood is hard no matter how you get there. But together, we've got this, mamas. Talk to you next week.